missions administrator, pastor, leader, uh, and he's going to speak to us today. Um, dancer, yes. No, no, you don't want to see that, Graham. <laughs> Anything could happen. Um, but yeah, bless you, Andy, as you speak to us. Thanks. Ruth got a rare dance out of me last weekend at the wedding. Our, our daughter Mary got married last weekend, and uh, I, I, I'm not a dancer, but I did one just to keep Ruth quiet. Mate, yeah. Um, yeah, thank you. It was a miracle, a miracle. Um, I'd, I'd say all the, all the other bass players this morning were doing something. Dan was lead, Dan's a bass player. He was leading the meeting. Tim's doing PA. He's a bass player. So we just a bit, you know, bit thinly spread this morning. But anyway, it's great to be here. I had just one other comment to make on that. Um, challenge, prophetic challenge that John brought to us about repentance. I think there's another way. Um, I'm just thinking about Transform next weekend. The, our Transform's our summer camp. Dan mentioned it earlier. Um, it's a great time of encounter with God for many people. I've, I've lost track of the stories I've heard of people who felt God spoke to them or changed the direction of their lives or, or their children's lives at the camp. And I personally want to encourage you, if you feel you have been drifting along, even to come along to Transform next Sunday, just for the Sunday, would God could do something. You know, God could sort of kickstart something of your relationship with him again. So it would encourage you to do that if that's um, something you're not thinking of doing so far. So uh, this series over the summer, we're doing a little series over the summer um, about the life of David and worship. David, as we'll see in a moment, is we often look to for inspiration on worship. He, he wrote many of the Psalms and um, he's clearly a, a worshiper. So we're looking at the life of David over the summer and we've got... Uh, four talks. Uh, I'm doing this one just kind of by way of introduction on the life of David. And then uh, I think straight after Transform, Chris and Lois are leading that morning. They're going to speak and lead worship, and we're going to be focusing on worship as God's people. Jeremy, who's disappeared, Jeremy is doing the following week. Um, keep looking at worship together. Worship something God's been working on us with worship over the last several months, and we want to keep pushing. We want to keep pushing for, to see all the best that God wants for us. And then uh, the end of August, we have Michelle Price, who many of us know, Michelle Price, a uh, good friend of many of ours who's working in, uh, in Africa at the moment, um, uh, and is just a heartfelt worshiper. We've given her the title of Worship in the Wilderness. It's also seemed to fit where, she's, where she is, and, but just really a little look at that. So we've got, some, I think, some great speakers lined up, and we're hoping that God, praying that God really will upgrade further our worship over the summer, despite it being sort of the silly season or the quiet season or something. But... There we go. So um, let's look at David. Uh, let me look at the clock as well. David. Now, David was one of the most, so here we go, life of David, king, outlaw, worshipper. I was wondering what, what would David put on his Twitter profile if he was, you know, as people do. I don't know, maybe some of those things, maybe something else. But um, David was one of the most significant leaders we see, about, see in the Old Testament. Um, we... Uh, there are 80 pages, first of all, of David's story. This is my Bible. Your Bible will be different. Eight in my Bible, I mean, there's so much about David, I couldn't possibly count it all up. So I was just going to count the number of pages. 80 pages directly about David's uh, life. Then there are 150 pages of Psalms, many of which he wrote. We don't know how, exactly how many, but many of which he wrote. And then there's a whole bunch of references in the New Testament altogether. That makes somewhere between 7 and 12% of the Bible is about David. I was quite surprised at that when I, when I worked that out. Um, he's one of the most significant figures in the Bible. Um, to, pick, to pick some other, other people, Moses, who's often seen as a great hero of the, God's people, he, minor figure by comparison to Abraham, you know, next up. 
David, after Jesus, David is one of the most mentioned characters in the Bible. So we ought to look at David and see what we can learn from him. Um, we see, when we look at, I mean, I've been reading the story of David over the last couple of months just by way of preparation for, for this and, and somewhere else I was doing something. Um, just being good to read the story again. There's far too much. I mean, as we said, 10% of the Bible. We'd be here for weeks if we read all of that. But you start to see some themes when you read David's story. He's a godly man. We'll talk about that a little bit, little bit in a moment. He is seen somehow as the high point of the Old Testament. His, his rule, his, his, thank you. Uh, his, his kingdom, the, the, the high point of the Old Testament. He's a good king. Now, many, any of you that have read the Old Testament will, will realize there are lots of not very good kings and some pretty awful kings, and then a handful of okay kings and one or two good kings. David's one of the, good, one of the few good kings that we read about in, in the story. Uh, he's often seen as somehow foreshadowing Jesus, pointing the way to Jesus. Um, there's, there's aspects of David's character and rule and kingdom that point the way to Jesus. And he's a worshiper. Um, We've said that already. He's a worshipper. He's a, he's a great example. So he is a great inspiration as we look, come to look at this topic of worship. And I think one of, I was trying to think, why have we got so much about David? Um, I think one of the reasons is he's actually quite an ordinary bloke, really. I mean, he's, I know he's a king, but he started off as an ordinary bloke anyway. And he had a fairly normal, well, he had a life that's not, it wasn't an extraordinary life. It wasn't a... It wasn't like Jesus who sort of, you know, was sent by God. It was, it was a, David's a guy that we can relate to um, and had a pretty, has, has some things that went on, on in his life. Uh, his life was an anvil for worship. We'll come to this. What, what does an anvil do? It, it helps us shape something. And we use an anvil as a metaphor, don't we? Of saying, this is an anvil. This, this, David's life was an anvil that formed character in him. And through the choices David made... He made certain choices that positioned him for relationship with God. So David's life was an anvil. He learned to be a worshipper, not just in uh, sort of church services, you know, festival gatherings of the people of Israel. He, he learned through work. He learned through his normal life. He learned through some of the tough things that happened in his life. And I think there's a lesson for all of us there in just in that little moment. There's David learned through normal life to push into God and worship God. And if we were to look at a quick timeline of David's life, um, you know, he's born sort of 1,000 or so BC, 1,000 years before Jesus, lived for about 70 years. Um, he was anointed at age 15-ish. These are, I mean, there's lots of different ways people put the dates together, but this is one particular commentary's view on it. Um, he was anointed at age 15 or thereabouts as king. It was another 15 years before he actually became king. He had the, we know the story of David who was anointed and selected by God as the king designate, essentially. But he then had 15 years of hassle before he f- came into the goodness of that, uh, that kingdom. And quite a lot of stuff happened in that interval. He was excluded from his family. You know the story of when Samuel the prophet comes to, to David's family to say, I, God sent me here to find a king. David's out in the field, and they, they didn't even bother to call him. They didn't even bother to get him in. All the rest of the family are lined up waiting to be selected, but David's not even bothered. They've not even bothered with David. He was excluded for some reason. We, we won't get into it now, but he was excluded from his family from a young age. He was separated from his, 
his, his, his wife at a particular, in a particular story. He was accused wrongly by Saul of all kinds of uh, stuff. He, was, he became an outlaw. He had a you know, near-death experiences where he, Saul, who was the other king at the time who was on, out to get David, Saul was out after David. And there was a couple of moments where David um, had sort of near-death experiences. And there was, a, there was a little story too where David's family was kidnapped by another army and David had to go rescue them. That's a pretty turbulent 15 years. Um, whatever we're facing in our lives, um, we can look at the story of David and I think we can find lessons. However messed up our family is, however turbulent our life has been, we can learn from David about pushing into God in the difficult times. And it doesn't, doesn't get much better after he becomes king. He commits adultery, there's murder, there's rape in the family, he gets, there's further estrangement in the family, he's betrayed by his family and others and he's deposed. It's, just, it's a complete... It would make a great soap opera if one were to put it to film. You know, so it's, there's lots in there. And through it all, David pushes into God. And at the end of, this is in 2 Samuel 22, we're sort of picking out some highlights of 1 and 2 Samuel, low lights perhaps. David writes this, which is one of, this is in 1 Samuel 22, and it's also one of the Psalms. He says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge. My saviour, you save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who's worthy to be praised and I'm saved from my enemies. For waves of death encompass me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. In my distress I called to the Lord. To, to my God I called. For his temple, from his temple he heard my voice and, his, and my cry came to his ears. Reading that in the context of just having looked at the snapshot of his life, it brings a bit, makes it a bit more vivid, doesn't it? You think, wow, he could, he, he, he could push into God. He did push into God. He found God to be his stronghold, his refuge, his rescuer in a pretty messed up life. And I think we can learn a lot from David. Whatever we're facing in work, maybe we've got issues with our kids or our parents or maybe we're out of work. I mean, there's all kinds of scenarios we face in life. The challenge through David's life is to make the choices to push in to God amidst those things. And uh, there's so many, many things we could learn from the life of David. I'm, I've just drawn out three things that I, th- I think we learn, choices that we can emulate, if you like, that we learn from the life of David, choices that position us to be a worshipper. And the first of those is choice number one, David walked with God. David walked with God. David knew his need of God. It's the first, is what starts with this. David walked with God because he knew his need of God. He, there's an inter- interesting discussion in the first part of 1 Samuel about whether Israel needed a king or not. Do some of you remember that little, little bit of the story? Does, should he, was it right for Israel to have a king or not? Or should they just have God as their king? Did God approve? Or did God, you know, there's all this little story there. We won't, we won't get into that big time now. But um, in the end, God instructed the prophet Samuel to anoint a king. But that king was to be different from the kings of other nations around them. He was to be a, what, the Bible, you know, what we see as a theocratic king, a god, a, a king that was subject to God, not a king who was sort of top of the pile, if you like, but a king almost that was a, a deputy to God, a, an ambassador from God to his people. The king in Israel was not to be autonomous, but subject to the law of God. 
and the word of the prophet. And we see this interesting thing with prophet, priest, and king going. Well, the, the king was, was one of the ruling sort of voices in Israel, but it, was, it wasn't on his own. He wasn't to be separate from the rule of God. And it quickly became clear that Saul, who was the first king, was unwilling to rule in this way. And that's where David comes in. David was a man after God's heart. And in, doing, in ruling in that way, he set an example for us of leadership under God's authority. So David knew his need of God. He was a, a king that related to God properly. And he chose to walk in obedience to God. That's the second thing. So he, he knew his need, and then he chose to operate in those ways. We, there's a little phrase that comes up. When you read 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, Samuel, there's this phrase that comes up time and time again. Um, can anyone remember what it is about David in this? Man after God's heart. The, what I'm looking for is he inquired after God. There was a number, there was, I think it's nine times he's in, he's in trouble again. <laughs> and David inquired after God. And God answered. He inquired after. He, kept in, he chose to inquire after God, to talk to God, to bring his issues to God. Uh, he's pretty clear. When we read the story of Goliath that was mentioned a, a minute ago, which is the, probably the first thing we think of when we think of David and Goliath, it's the kind of classic story. I don't think it was just David's courage that, that was the issue there. I think David knew that the battle was the Lord's. In fact, it tells us in 1 Samuel that the, David knew that the battle was the Lord's. David somehow knew that God had commissioned him for this fight with Goliath. And yes, it took courage, but courage on its own wasn't good enough. He was a man after God's heart and knew that if he took these five stones, which seemed a ridiculous way of trying to kill an enemy, if he took those as, a state, as an act of faith, God would win the battle. So David chose to walk in obedience. Uh, there's another little story um, when they're, much later on in the story, when they're in the city and they've, they've got to leave the city. They're about to be exiled by um, one of David's sort of sidekicks who's deposed David. And David has the, has the priests offering sacrifices until the last person has left the city. There's a sense that even his battles, even his, even his activity was accompanied by worship. David was a man who pushed into God. He chose to walk in obedience to God. Um, the New Testament calls this living by the Spirit. <laughs> I was reading Romans this morning in my Bible reading. The New Testament calls this living by the Spirit. Not choosing to live independently from God, trying to please God, but to live in step with this Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is sent to help us. And it's like David's had a little foretaste of, of God's help, and he acted in that way. He chose to act in that way. So David walked with God. He knew his need. He chose to walk in obedience with God. And as Sheridan just said, he's described as a man after God's heart. He's not um, sort of an independent king, as, as so many of the, the people were. Um, David knew God. And we, when we look at the Psalms, many of which, maybe half, I don't know, I mean, many of the Psalms are written by David, um, or about David, and they, they communicate something of David's heart. We, by reading the Psalms, we can catch the heart of a man who's got a heart after God. That's why the Psalms are there, I believe, because they, they help us see how to worship. Um, so David was a man after God's heart. He walked with God because he he in humility knew his need of God and he chose to cultivate that relationship with God 
I think there's a little challenge here for us. Um, we like to call ourselves charismatics, which means a people of the Holy Spirit. It's one of our sort of values. And, but to, the question for me, I suppose I come to is, does being charismatic just mean that when we come together on a Sunday, we have a certain style of worship and a certain looking for participation? Or does it mean that we walk day by day with God in touch with his Holy Spirit? He sent his Holy Spirit to help us. We're foolish if we don't walk with the Holy Spirit, but so often we walk through life independently and not walking with God, but sort of walking and hoping that God will keep up somehow or walking, wondering where God is. But walking with God is a lesson we learn from David. And you know, when we come to worship, uh, we, if we, we come as individuals, but when we gather, we're more than the individuals. We're, we're more than the sum of the parts. We were praying this morning as we started, there's more than the sum of the parts. But when we come together, we're not just individuals worshipping God, we're a community. But if, if we have made those choices during the week to walk with God and to walk in touch and in communion with His Holy Spirit, we as individuals are going to come in a much better place to worship um, because we are cultivating the presence of God, cultivating the closeness of God. One of, the, one of the phrases that comes up in the Psalms regularly is selah, which means pause and think about that. Stop and think about that. So let's have a stop and think about it. Let's just have a moment and say, God, ask God um, if there's a, a different way you could walk with him this week, whether there's you know, different choices you could make in the workplace, in your, the way you manage your diary, in the way you discipline your children, whatever it might be. Just, just pause and ask God if he wants, to come, he wants you to come close again in one of those areas. And you know, this connects absolutely with our, work, our lives in the world as well. This is not just a church thing. David walked with God and that affected all of his different lines of work. I mean, David was a shepherd. You might want to call him a music therapist at one point. He, you know, he'd bring his harp and play for the king and the king would be happy again. And he became a soldier. And David had quite a varied work career. And in all of that, we see evidence that David walked with God, that David inquired of the Lord. And I just want to encourage those of us in work to seek to be David-like leaders in our workplace, those that bring the presence of God into our workplace. This is not just a thing for, for church or our quiet times or something. So David, choice number one that David make, made was to walk with God. Choice number two was that David was honest with God. I, I often think David's a little bit like the Apostle Peter. They, the Apostle Peter, we see, was quite impetuous and hasty and said things he shouldn't have said and made mistakes, but it was just kind of honest. And I, I sometimes think David's a little bit like that. David was earthy, raw, passionate, impulsive, real, honest. You know, he was a kind of get on with it. Oh, I made a mistake. Oh, we all saw that. He was kind of impetuous kind of guy. But in all of that, he was honest with God. Now, when he made mistakes, he was honest with God. We see that so clearly in the Psalms. Uh, here's one example. Psalm 32. 
Now remember, this is a worship song David has written, sort of a psalm of worship and communion with God. And it's really, it's autobiographical. It's about himself. He's been found out um, after an act of adultery and murder. (laughs) Doubly wrong. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. You see how the mood changes through that. He's, he's heavy. He's feeling distant from God. And then he confesses his sin. And the next thing we know, God's his hiding place, a refuge. A sounds, you know, it's just it's an amazing turnaround. That all comes through confession. And there's a lesson here for us too. Second lesson is to be honest with God. When we've screwed up, when we've sinned, when we've messed up, let's be honest with God. God, God knows anyway, doesn't he? He's all-knowing. So he knows anyway, but he's like, like a parent who knows really that such and such a child has done this thing, but really wants the child to come and confess because that's just a good thing relationally. But really, you, know, you know anyway what's really going on. And this is repeated in the New Testament. Just to, in case you think this is just an Old Testament David thing, um, these are just a few little quotes from the New Testament. Acts 3, repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come. Sounds quite like that, doesn't it? Repent and times of refreshing will come. 2 Corinthians 7. I'm happy not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. You became sorrowful as God intended and so were not harmed in any way. There's a sorrow that leads to repentance. There's a putting things right. 1 John 1. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's something here about David's choice to walk honestly with God. And you, you read some of the Psalms and they're pretty earthy. They're pretty raw. David is just really grumpy or upset or, ah, God, what is going on? And, it, you know, it's okay to bring that stuff to God. We don't have to sort of put on some kind of Christian veneer when we talk to God. God knows and God wants us to come to him. There's a little story in, um, about one of the kings in the Old Testament who has, has some bad news from, uh, you know, has a letter from, from another guy that's trying to do him in. And he goes into, what he does, he goes into the temple and he unrolls the scroll and he presents it to God and says, God, what do I do? I'd love that picture. That's a picture of coming to God with whatever bad news we've got, whatever's going on, and unrolling the scroll in the temple before God and saying, God, I come to you. I come to you with my problems. I come to you with my sin. I come to you with uh, the things people are accusing me of. I come to you, God. And David learned to do that, as we saw a minute ago, through a pretty torrid number of things that went on in his life. And David, I believe David, in each situation, came before God and, as it were, put the scroll out before God and said, God, what 
what, what should I do? How should I respond? And he didn't always get it right, but God is a forgiving and gracious father. And um, God, I believe, loves our honesty. So the second um, Selah moment is to say, what does this mean for you? Are, are you in the habit of being honest with God? Do you, when you've messed up, when you've maybe said something you shouldn't have said or done something you shouldn't have done, do you come to God quickly and spread that out before God? And this morning, is there anything you need to be honest with God about? God knows anyway, remember. So, but let's, is there anything just in this moment that you need to say to God? So David made a choice to walk with God, and he made a second choice to be honest with God. And the third choice David made was to be right with people. I said a minute ago, when we gather as a community to worship, we gather not just as individuals, but we gather as community. The first two choices, uh, being honest with God and walking with God, are choices that we make in the day-to-day of life, on our own, in our sort of normal lives this one is a is not just about us as individuals it's a relational question david was right with people um the so this this picture might remind might remind us of a story about david does anyone remember this there's a particular story i'm thinking of about david and his rightness with people yeah Saul, who's this king that's after David, goes into this, not this cave, a cave, um, to relieve the call of nature. And um, there's all kinds of interesting pictures on the internet when you look for pictures of this cave with David. But anyway, that's another story. Um, uh, David's hiding at the back of the cave. It's quite remarkable. And if I was David, I might be tempted to say, the Lord has delivered my enemy into my hands. I'm going to do him in. That's what I'd have done. And that's what David's guys were going to do. They said, David, the Lord's delivered this guy. Do him in. And so David cuts off. David can't quite bring himself to do that. He cuts off the corner of his, just cuts off the corner of Saul's garment, just to sort of make a point. And then he's remorseful about that because he said, I shouldn't have harmed the Lord's anointed. David has a high regard for relational questions. He has a high regard for people and God's, uh, so even though the king is turning out to be an ungodly king and is after David, David still respects the office of, of king that God, God. We see the same with Jesus, don't we? There's a little interaction with, between Jesus and the high priest in the New Testament, which is quite interesting. Jesus is being accused, and he, um, the high, I can't remember, the high priest slaps him, I think, or something. I'm looking at Sheridan for inspiration here. There's this inter- interaction between the high priest. And, Jesus says, "I didn't know he was the high priest. I wouldn't, you know. It's, it's like, it's it's a it's a uh, remarkable honour of 
office and position, even though this is ungodly. And we're, we're called to pray and pray for rulers. Whether we, whether we like the current government or not, we're called to pray for them, that they'd make godly decisions. And Jesus tells his disciples to honor secular authority. There's something about, you know, the guys from Bethel would call it a culture of honor. There's something about honoring leadership that is important as we come to worship. David understood that. David, this, this story with Saul in the cave is quite, quite remarkable. Really. David honored, he had the right attitude, we might want to say. He was right in attitude with other people. He didn't um, come with bad attitudes to worship. There's something else too about relationship. We're not just right in attitude, we're right in relationship. Uh, there's a story in story jesus says in the new testament matthew 5 he says if you come to worship and your brother or sister's got something against you what do you do sort it out leave your gift at the altar go sort it sorting out relational stress is more important to jesus than coming to bring your worship offering now that's interesting isn't it we might think oh god's more important i need to worship god i'll sort that out later no, Jesus says the other way around. He says, go sort your issues out before you try and come and worship. And in that story, it's, it's, it's you know, your, your brother or sister is, is offended. It, it looks like it's something you've done as the worshiper to offend because your brother or sister's got something against you. There's another passage in Matthew 18 that says, if it's your fault, go sort it out as well. So whoever's fault it is, it doesn't really matter. If it's your fault or his fault, just go sort it before you come to worship. Um, and David understood this. I mean, David was right in relationship. He, he put things right. This incident, incident with Saul is, is, is quite remarkable, I think. But David understood these things relationally. And that's a really important thing as we come to worship, is to put things right. Jesus says, leave your gift at the altar and go put it right. And today as we... As we're talking about this, is perhaps another little moment to say, God, is there someone that I need to put things right with? Is there someone in my life that I'm in strained relationship with or I need to forgive them or they need to forgive me, whichever way around? Is there someone I need to put something right with? So three choices that David made. Is it gone? Oh, yeah. Going back to the beginning. Curiously. Tim, can you forget to the end? Sorry, I have to flick through. Um, three choices uh, David made in daily life. He walked with God. He was honest with God and he was right with people. I think these are three choices we can all make. Whatever's going on in our lives, these are choices to make. That They prepare us to be worshippers. They prepare our hearts. They prepare our attitudes. We can learn to listen to God and follow his lead in normal life. You know, walking with God. We can walk with God in the workplace. We can walk with God in 
relationships with people, we, we, friends we have in the community, whatever. We can walk with God in normal life. Normal life has an uncomfortable habit of showing us all our flaws and weaknesses, doesn't it? <laughs> and we can choose to be honest with God through normal life. And thirdly, in normal life, we're thrown together with all kinds of people and we have an opportunity to either get it wrong badly or to live godly Christ-like lives and put things right with people relationally. This is all about normal life. And I believe these three choices will position us as a community of people. When we come to worship, if we were all living like this in normal life, we'd be in a whole different place when we come to worship. And I just want to encourage us, church, this morning as we, that, that worship starts actually outside of church. Worship starts in normal life. Let's be a people that come to times of corporate worship prepared and ready because we've allowed God to work in our lives and hearts during the week. Dan. Thanks, Andy.